Well, good morning to each one, and greetings in Jesus' name. I, too, want to extend a welcome to the visitors. We're glad you're here and invite you to join in and worship with us today. As it's been mentioned several times already, today is a special day for the mothers, and so to the mothers, happy Mother's Day. Preachers sometimes struggle with special calendar events like Mother's Day. Should a Mother's Day sermon always be preached on Mother's Day? Or should a Father's Day sermon always be preached on Father's Day? You know, Christmas, Easter, those are a given. But what about special calendar events. You see, not everyone here is a mother. I totaled, well, I say I, Beverly and I totaled up all the ages of the Ebenezer Church family, along with those of you who attend regularly, and we came up with 113 people. That's all the way down to the littlest child. Out of those 113 people, 21 are mothers. That's about 19% of our crowd here this morning. And so you see, it's debated and discussed. Should a, should a minister prepare and preach a sermon for just 19% of the people? Now, you understand that there is a fairly large percentage here today that's not catching on to what is being said, but total audience, 19% are mothers. Well, it's true, not everyone here today is a mother. However, everyone here today has a mother or had a mother, and I believe that fact alone is a good reason to preach a Mother's Day sermon. Mother's Day I believe, is a reminder of God's faithfulness to us on so many levels. On Mother's Day, we reflect on our human mother. But Mother's Day is also a reminder that the womb is God's great tool for the salvation of the human race. God had to borrow one to accomplish his plan. He fulfilled his promise through a borrowed womb. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And I say praise the Lord. The Bible says to honor your father and your mother. This commandment is repeated at least nine times throughout the Bible. What does it mean to honor? The word honor means to prize, to value, esteem, hold dear to something that is precious. As you know, there are ten commandments. The commandment to honor your father and your mother 
is a special commandment. It's unique from the other nine commandments. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. They're vertical commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The last five have to do with our relationship with others. They're horizontal. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. The fifth commandment, yes, it is horizontal as well, but it's unique in the fact that it is written in a positive form. Honor your father and your mother. Instead of something that you don't do, it's something that you do. And unlike the other nine commandments, it comes with a pronounced blessing that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Paul picked up on that thought in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Recently, through our work, I met an older couple here in our community who obviously have deep spiritual needs. And I'm not going to elaborate on the depravity of their situation, but it was a very sad situation. Later, I had the opportunity to go back to their home, and I took that opportunity to take them a Bible and a few other things for them to read. And I talked with them for quite a while about spiritual things. But a very sad and pitiful situation. Later, I had the opportunity to talk with the daughter of this couple. And we talked about her parents and their needs. This daughter professes to be a Christian. And this daughter shared that she believes her mother's biggest issue is the fact that, that her mother will not forgive her mother, this lady's grandmother. And even though this elderly lady's mother has been dead for years, she says that she cannot forgive her mother for the things that she did to her. The Bible says, honor your mother. And I, I can't find any exceptions. You see, this is, this is not about good or bad. It's not about holy or not so holy. It's not about how my mother treated me in the past or is treating me now. It's not about your mother being perfect or less than perfect. The Bible says, honor your mother. The promise is that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. The opposite of honoring is dishonoring. Dishonor is a state of shame or disgrace. Dishonor your mother and bitterness will destroy wellness. Dishonor your mother, 
bitterness will take years off your life. And so my heart goes out to that elderly lady who will not forgive her mother. From all appearance, that bitterness is killing her. Recently, on one of the many adoption forms that our family has filled out, I was to write a paragraph on how do you feel about a mother who gives her child up for adoption? What would you have wrote? It was a good question. You see, sometimes we Christians, we get a little too self-confident. We even get a bit cocky. And we make strong statements about something we would never do. We say things like, I would never do this, or I would never do that. The Bible reminds us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so today, if our testimony is Psalm 16, verse 6, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. It is because of God's grace. It is not of yourself. Don't boast. It is the gift of God. Moses' mother, jockey bed, gave up her son. Not because she did not love him, not because she did not want him, but for his future well-being. If young Moses would have been discovered, you know the story. He would have been destroyed. The Bible says in Exodus 2, verse 6, And when she, Pharaoh's daughter, had opened it, the basket, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. You know, for Pharaoh's daughter, the easiest, the safest, the thing that would have made the most sense would have been to simply push that little basket out into the current and left it go. To disobey her father's degree put her life at stake. It put her reputation at stake. It put her father's reputation at stake. Having no idea of what it may cost her or her family, she drew the baby out of the water. 
And so today we honor all mothers. We honor the jockey bed mothers who give up a child for the sake of its future well-being. We honor the Pharaoh's daughter mothers who put their lives at risk to provide love and care for a child in need. There is another special kind of mother that we want to honor and recognize today. And we find this mother in Romans chapter 16. And you're welcome to turn there. I do not have a long message today and just a few scriptures for you to turn to. But I titled this message this morning, A Mother to Another. A Mother to Another. Now the last chapter of the book of Romans is highly personal. And if you're there, you probably just see a lot of names. In this chapter, we have a long list of names that Paul sends his personal greetings to. Now the word greet, as we find it in this chapter, means more than just saying hi or say hey. You know, say hi to Bob, say hey to Harry. It's, it's, it's deeper, it's more personal. If you look up that word greet, it has the thought to enfold in the arms, you see. We would say, give that person a big hug from me. Some of the names in this chapter are familiar. Many of them are just names. We don't know who they are. Uh, verse 3, we have greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. We know who this was, a married couple that worked with Paul. We read about these folks in Acts and other places in the New Testament. But in verse 13, we have a name that is not so familiar. And I will read verse 13 in the NIV. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. So who is Rufus? <laughs> When I first saw that name Rufus, it reminded me of one of uh, Santa's reindeer, but I looked up the list and it, there's not a Rufus on the list. <laughs> there's a Rudolph, but not Rufus. But who is this Rufus and who is his mother? It is believed that Rufus was one of the sons of Simon of Cyrene. Now we know about Simon of Cyrene Simon of Cyrene is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the man who carried the cross of Jesus to Calvary. Now this is an interesting point. Cyrene was located in what is called today Libya. It is believed Simon was a dark-skinned African Jew who had come to Jerusalem to worship during the Passover. In the gospel account recorded by Mark, we find these words. And they compelled, and the word compelled means forced, one passing by, Simon of Cyrene, coming from the, from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to go with him, 
that he might bear his cross. You remember how Jesus was stumbling and falling from the weight of the cross. The soldiers needed a man, and I say a man, to carry the cross. Not a wimpy fellow, not someone that would only go 100 yards and, and be done. They needed a man, a man that could get that job done. And so I picture Simon of Cyrene as this big, kind of strong, husky black man. I believe Simon and his firsthand encounter with Christ's crucifixion changed him forever. I can imagine Simon going back home to Cyrene and saying to his family and neighbors, I have seen the Messiah. I carried his cross. I heard him speak. I watched him die. But that's not all, friends. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. I believe, without a doubt, that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Simon's testimony brought others to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because now, around 25 years later, Paul writes, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. I'm not aware that Paul ever specifically mentioned his own mother or his own father for that matter. Yes, Paul did write about his family connections in Philippians 3 verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, concerning the law of Pharisee. And it's interesting, also in this context, Paul mentioned that he had suffered many things for the Lord's sake. I believe the silence of the scripture in regards to Paul's family suggests that Paul was possibly disowned by his immediate family. You see, Paul's family was high society. Today we would say they were Harvard and Yale educated. They were taught according to the perfect manner of the law. And so it's very possible that from the time of Paul's conversion, his Jewish family viewed him as dead, never to be mentioned again. But there is one interesting thing, and we find in the book of Acts uh, chapter 16, Paul's nephew helped to save his life when the Jews laid a plot against him in Jerusalem. So maybe Paul did at least win one of his kinsmen to the Lord. But back to this Rufus' mother. How do you imagine how Rufus' mother was a mother to Paul? What was so special about this person that Paul would say, she was a mother to me? And I have some things that I imagine as I thought about this verse and how Rufus' mother could be a mother to Paul. My mind just... It went wild, but I'll try not to get too carried away. But here may be some reasons she was a mother to Paul. 
Did she provide lodging when Paul was weary? After spending time in prison or maybe shipwreck, did she have that room that was fixed up just right? Was there a favorite dish for her preacher's son? A dish that she knew he enjoyed. Did she know how to fry that chicken just right? You see, you get the picture, right? The biscuits. Did she lovingly apply ointment to his bloody back after he was beaten? When his brow was furrowed with anxiety for the churches under his care, did she offer words of encouragement as a loving mother would do for a son? When even his own brothers in the church treated Paul badly, did she remind him that there were many like her who loved him and appreciated his sacrifices for the master's sake? When Paul was troubled about his past and wondering, how can God forgive me for all the awful things I did to others before I was saved, did she say something like, Paul, my husband Simon was at the cross. He heard Jesus say to his executioners, Father, forgive them. Paul, if Jesus could forgive those who killed him, he can forgive you. We don't know these things I'm imagining, but these are the possibilities of someone who is a mother to another. The possible thought that I like best of Rufus' mother, being a mother to Paul, is this one. As we know, Paul at times, he had a bit of a rough side. He would come across dogmatic, rough, and even strict, especially when it came to dealing with sin in the church. When dealing with sin, he would say things like, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Purge out therefore the old leaven. Put away from yourself that evil person. Kick him out. Do away with them. No nonsense. Get it done. It was black and white. I believe Paul's no-nonsense way of dealing with life issues was learned from his Hebrew parents. Paul said of himself, I was taught according to the perfect manner of the law. I believe in, th in Paul's home growing up, things were black and white. You know, we remember the zeal he had before he was saved. And maybe Paul had some of that own treatment. You know, Paul, or Saul, he was back then. Did his family discuss that? Saul, you know, he may be our son, but if he's not going to go our way, we're done with him. Gone. Never existed. But you know, there's another side of Paul that is as gentle as a lamb. Could it be 
Could it possibly be that someone in Paul's life showed by an example a more gentle way, a more gentle approach to life? When the Holy Spirit directed Paul to write 1 Corinthians 13, was there an image of a very special person in his mind when he wrote the words, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thanks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Could it be, could it possibly be that Rufus' mother showed by her life an example of the words that Paul just wrote? We don't know these things, but again, this is a possibility of one who is a mother to another. Jesus repeatedly taught the disciples that there would be painful sacrifices in the wake of choosing to follow him. Sometimes this would involve separation from loved ones. Indeed, a man's foes could be those of his own house. But the Lord made a promise to those who would give up all to follow him. And I want to show you that now in Mark chapter 10, 29 and 30. Mark 10, verse 29. So Jesus answered and said, As surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers. and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Paul gave up everything to serve Jesus Christ, including his family. And what did he receive? Just like Jesus promised, he received mothers. Paul, in his writing, used many interesting words and phrases to address Christian people who surrounded him in his ministry. He used phrases like fellow helpers, fellow laborers, apostles, teachers, pastors, saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, helpers in Christ Jesus. But interesting enough, only one person in his writings, got the title 
a mother to me. It's been said it's relatively easy to be a mother, but it takes a special person to be a mom. A mom is a special person who someone could say she was a mother to me. And you know, we talked about the different things that may have made Rufus' mother a very special person. But you know, it really only takes two things to be a special person like Rufus' mother. It takes a big heart and it takes a listening ear. Those two things are the ingredients for someone to be a mother to another. And you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, um, if you're familiar with Romans chapter 16, you probably know that Romans 16 is actually more than just a chapter of greeting. It's actually a chapter of farewell. Paul was saying goodbye to these folks. And isn't it a wonderful thought to think there was a special godly person in Paul's life who was a mother to him. And so today, ladies, married and unmarried, you have tremendous potential when it comes to being a mother for a person in need of a mother. And so God bless you ladies, and notice I didn't say mother, God bless you ladies on this Mother's Day. We'll call for a song.